Sometimes it's moments of brokenness which create the greatest transformations. Times where fear gives birth to faith, pain leads to healing, and chaos dissolves into peace. It's in these times we often see God more clearly. For in our deepest turmoil, He remains faithful. When our spirit is crushed, He remains strong. When our moment is too heavy, He carries the burden. As gold is refined by fire, we too are often refined by struggle. It's part of growing, changing, becoming. Lately, the journey has been difficult. Our breath has been labored. Our steps uneasy. But we stand in faith, knowing who is leading us through this desert. The God of peace, the God of hope, the God of restoration. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads on Memorial Day weekend. We are thankful that you're here again. You kind of encouraged me this morning because I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, it's kind of that first holiday of the summer break. It's not the official start of summer. That happens on the 20th or the 21st, but we're excited that you're here. Today is week three of our series, I Quit. And let me start by asking you a question. Do you like who you are? Do you like who you're becoming? I mean, take a minute and think about it. Are you truly aware of who you are? Are, are you truly aware of who you are becoming? Are you truly aware of the things that are happening in your life? I'm encouraging you to think about that. Really think about that. Do you know who you are and what you're becoming? Because I've come to understand, I've come to realize that we have to understand that the most difficult type of awareness is actually self-awareness. Because you see, by definition, nobody thinks that being self-aware is their problem. Nobody in this room, nobody listening, nobody watching online sees self-awareness, that person you are, that person that you're becoming, nobody sees that as their problem. Because if they did, they would be self-aware. But it turns out when it comes to knowing the truth about you, everyone in this room has a problem. We all suffer from different levels of denial. Denial. I'm not talking about a river in Egypt. We all suffer from different levels of denial. And this morning, when it comes to denial, denial is something that I need to quit. Denial is something I need to quit. Now, let me ask you another question. We're talking about being aware, who we are, what we're becoming, the things that are happening in our life. When it comes to self-awareness, when you think about self-awareness, what do you think the issue is? 
that is actually leading us to that lack of self-awareness. When, when you and I are struggling with self-awareness issues, what would you say is causing that? Is it pride? Yeah, I probably should. That's, that, that's part of it. Is it pain avoidance? Is that keeping you from being aware of who you're becoming? Probably. But I'll tell you this. In our culture, there's something that's, that's contributing to, to all of our slack of self-awareness. And the thing that's creating or contributing to your and my lack of self-awareness is hurry. Because the greatest enemy of awareness in our culture is hurry. And you know, I was pre preparing on Wednesday for this morning and uh, I, I had the outline already done, but I was preparing on Wednesday, and when I started looking at my notes, it seems like, you know, I said, you know, this message is vaguely and weirdly connected to the very first week in this series. And, and I'll tell you this, if you didn't get an opportunity to hear week one of this series, I quit, I would encourage you, you can scroll down on our Facebook page, and you can actually see the entire service online. So if you didn't see week one, you need to go back and listen or watch week one. You can listen to the audio uh, either on iTunes or from CrossroadsLebanon.com. But I would strongly encourage you to go back and either watch or listen to the very first week of this series. So if the greatest enemy of awareness in our culture today is actually hurry, we're all in a hurry doing all the things. Some of you are in a hurry right now. That's why you came to 830 instead of 1030. Because you know you have things to do. The sun is out. It's not cold like it was yesterday. And you're going to try to go to the pool or to the lake. It's going to be cold, I'm telling you, in the water. But some of you are here because you're in a hurry. So if the greatest enemy of awareness in our culture is hurry, then let me give you a place where we can start when it comes to dealing with this problem of self-awareness. The very first thing you need to do is this, slow down. That's the very first thing you can do. If you're going to deal with this problem of self-awareness, who you are, what you're becoming and who you're becoming and, and what's happening in your life, if you're going to become aware, more aware of who you are and what you're becoming, then the thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to counteract this enemy of hurry and it's really simple, just slow down. Slow down to increase awareness. If you want to increasingly be aware of what is happening in your life, and more importantly, if you want to be aware of who you are and who you are becoming, then our culture tells us you just need to slow your roll. Slow your roll. Slow the things that you're doing. I mean, give, give some thought to this. How fast right now is your life? I mean, this, the speed of life right now is picking up because things are opening up. We're allowed to do more things and go more places, and businesses are opening, and, and people are, 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 are booking caterings, aren't they, Karen? I mean, there's just all kinds of things to do. 
I mean, the speed of life is picking up. So ask yourself, are you resting or limping or walking or running or racing? Are you going at supersonic speed? Again, think about what we talked about in this very first week of this series. Because when you look at our society and you look at our culture and I look at your lives, many of you right now are wearing a badge of honor. And the badge of honor that you're wearing is that badge of busyness. You're wearing busyness as a badge of honor when it should be a sign that you're actually avoiding something that is more important. Many of us use our super connected, plugged in, fast paced lives to ignore some of the issues that God is actually prompting us and telling us that we need to look at. Because here's the thing, we live unaware of how we're hurting ourselves. We live unaware of how we're hurting those who are around us as well. Now, let me, let me tell you, when I say hurry is the greatest enemy of awareness, of self-awareness, I'm not talking about being like busy. There's a difference between busy and rushed or hurried. And, and I saw a comparison made uh, in a book by John Ortberg. John Ortberg is a pastor, was a pastor in, in California at Menlo Presbyterian Church. And he's, he's a writer of countless other books. And in his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg gave some really interesting comparisons. And I want to share those with you this morning. I want you to look behind me, and they should come up if we've got them programmed right. Again, that's not Tim's fault. That's somebody else who does all the programming. I want to compare busy and hurried. You see, here's the thing. When I'm busy, you know what busy means? Busy means I, I have a full schedule. B busy means that there are many activities going on in my life. Busyness is really what I call an outward condition. Busyness is, is something in life that's physically demanding. Busyness also is a reminder because busyness reminds me that I need God. Now, there's a difference between busy and hurried. Hurried means that I'm preoccupied. When I'm in a hurry, it, it means that I am unable to be fully present. Hurried is really what I say is an inner condition of the soul. Hurried, when you're living a hurried lifestyle and you're not aware of what's going on, not only are you not aware of what's going on in your own life and who you're becoming, living a hurried lifestyle, always in a hurry, that's something that honestly is spiritually draining. And not only is it spiritually draining, the hurried lifestyle causes me to be unavailable to God. You cannot live self-aware. You cannot live and be aware of who you're becoming and live a hurried life. You have to slow down. 
So how do you do that? How do you quit this inevitable cycle of denial? Well, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, verse 11. And you know this verse. I'm just going to take a lo- about, about, about nine words of it. Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, again, Paul uses just nine words in what you see behind me. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, here's the thing I'm going to ask you to do right where you're sitting this morning. And again, those watching and listening online can just do it wherever you are. But I want you to look at those nine words. And I I want you to see if there's anything that you can just kind of condense that cliff notes. That is there is there a takeaway from what Paul says when he says, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. Because, see, here's the thing. When I read those nine words. Here was my takeaway. The takeaway that I saw in what Paul said was this. It's all about contentment. It's all about being content. It's realizing that if I want to be content, and if I am content, then hurried, that hurried lifestyle decreases as contentment increases. Hurry will decrease as contentment increases. Because Paul said, I have learned to be content. And some of you would say, well, what what does content mean? And I'm going to tell you what I believe content means. Content is just a state of peaceful happiness. I've learned to be content. It's just a state of life where I'm experiencing a peaceful happiness. I was talking this week to, I I, I saw somebody at church last weekend and uh, I texted them this week and they hadn't been here in a while and, and a lot of people haven't been here. You know, I mean, they, they come and go. People are trying to test the waters and see what's safe and what they feel comfortable doing. I understand that and I encourage you to do that. If you feel better listening and, and watching at home, then do that. But I'm telling you, you're missing out because again, Hebrews 10, 25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. We need to come together. But I saw this individual last weekend, and I hadn't seen them in probably several weeks. And, and I texted them this week and said, hey, it was so good to see you. And the, 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 the conversation went back and forth through a text message. And they told me about a decision that they had made regarding their life, regarding their family. And the comment on the text message was, you know, it was a difficult dis- a decision that I had to make. But I had peace about it. And and let me tell you, that peace that passes understanding is everything. Because by nature, listen, we're not content people. Just by nature, that's not who we are. We are not content people, and neither am I. You're not, I'm not. Because, see, here's the thing. In our nature, we want things to be different. We want them to be better. We want them to be something other than what they are. But here's something that I think most of us miss. And this morning, I want you to truly see this because you need to experience this. 
You need to understand, we talk about slowing your roll. You need to understand that slowing down doesn't start with your schedule. Slowing down starts with your heart. You've got to make a decision here. Because slowing down starts with your heart. It doesn't start with your schedule. If you're going to slow your life down, you have to learn to be content. Now listen to what I'm about to say. And contentment, in my opinion, is something that's learned over time. Let me give you something else that will help you increase self-awareness. Let me give you something else that I believe will help you deal with denial. And that's this. Acknowledging your past. You just need to acknowledge your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your today. Acknowledging your past isn't your past if it's still impacting the present. And again, here's what I want you to hear me say. Now listen to what I'm about to say. You have heard me make points like that before. And some of you are going to say, oh, I can check out on this because I've heard him say something like this before. He said acknowledging your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. I have said something like that before. And I'm going to tell you, just hang with me because there's more. You see, there's often only one thing that stands in, t in front of you in the future that you desire. There's often only one thing that stands in between you and everything you want out of life. And you know what that one thing is? It's your seemingly unforgettable past. I mean, think about your life. Have you ever wondered why at the beginning of every year you make resolutions? But then you go into that new year, and even though you made the resolutions, nothing changes? Have you ever wondered why you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over? Have you ever wondered why you have such difficulty maintaining healthy relationships? Well, I'll tell you, if you haven't dealt with the hurt that's associated with your past, that hurt that's a part of your past is going to continue to impact everything that you touch. Because listen to me this morning, if we don't find ways to deal with the past, we are almost always doomed to repeat the past. And awareness of our past doesn't come easily. But what does come easy is this, denial. What does come easy is really denial. Because we are quick, listen, listen, we are quick to bury emotions. We are quick to intentionally bury emotions that are associated with our past. We're quick to bury emotions that make us feel ashamed. We're quick to bury emotions that make us feel uncomfortable. And, and, and here's the thing. To complicate matters, there, there tends to be this attitude, this, this pervasive attitude in some circles of the church that communicates that 
once you have given your life to Jesus, there's this attitude within the church and churches and Christianity that, that, that kind of communicates that once you've given your life to Christ, once you've become a Christian, that you're at least supposed to act like you have your stuff together. So that tells us that, that as a follower of Jesus, we've come to, to learn how to respond to a question when people say about our life and about what's going on in our life and they ask us how we're doing. Well, how are you? Well, I'm just fine. But in the moment that somebody asks you how you're doing and you say, I'm fine, you know that's not true. I'm not fine. We're not fine. We're not fine at all. Because many of you in this audience and many of those who are listening and watching online, you're hurting and you're lonely. And you're confused. And you're frightened. But we hide. And the question I ask this morning is, why? Why do we hide? Are we hiding because there's this possibility that we're afraid? That God won't heal us? We're afraid that God won't be able to, to really heal us? Are we afraid when it comes to admitting the pain and the brokenness? That somehow the pain and the brokenness that we're still dealing with as a saved individual who follows Jesus Christ, are we afraid that somehow, just knowing that we're dealing with pain and brokenness, that that somehow discounts? Our salvation experience? Because again, we think, we think as a follower of Jesus, we're supposed to have it all together. And I'm not sure where this attitude comes from. But I'll tell you where I think it originates. It originates with fear, which we're going to talk about next week. See, we don't want people to share what's going on in their life. We, we don't want people to share their broken dreams, their, their struggles, their hurts, and their pain. We want people to tell us they're fine. We don't want people to share their struggles with us because we are afraid when they share the struggles that they're dealing with in their life that we won't have the answers. But listen to me this morning. And somebody needs to hear this. Salvation does not mean that you won't have brokenness. Salvation doesn't mean that you won't have pain. You see, somewhere along the way, I think as Christians, we picked up this idea that as, as a follower of Jesus, as an adult who follows Jesus, we should be beyond hurt. We should be above hurt. We should have passed that. We shouldn't have to deal with that. We, 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 we look at our life and we think, you know, if, if I was a stronger Christian, then I wouldn't hurt so much.
But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a to a um, an AA meeting or, or a meeting like that? Something similar to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting? Because one of the first things you'll see in one of those meetings is going to be people standing up and introducing themselves. They may not know anybody else in the room, but you're going to have somebody stand up and they're going to say, Hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. My name is John and I'm an addict. My name is John and I'm a drunk. And see, when that person takes the time to stand up in front of all those people and tell them who they are and what they're dealing with, it's a huge moment. And in that moment, when they stand up and identify themselves as a drunk or an addict or an alcoholic, everybody that's watching, everybody that, that's listening to them say that realizes that this is a huge moment. This is a huge step in what they would know as a spiritual battle. Because there are all kinds of forces of darkness that are trying to keep that person from standing up and walking out into the light and making that statement and identifying themselves and who they are and what is going on in their life. But see, everybody in that room knows that they all fight the same battle. So when that confession gets made in that little 12-step group, in that basement, in that church, in that health club, wherever it is, everybody that's listening there in that room celebrates the confession that this individual has made. But you know what I see? Unfortunately, in the church today, that kind of honesty, that kind of confession, that kind of community has become totally optional. That's one of the reasons why I have always embraced the, the idea here, the statement here, that it's okay to not be okay. Amen? It's okay for you to not be okay. Let me give you another way to break the cycle of denial and increase awareness. You need, you need to believe that God can redeem it all. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the account of Joseph, the life of Joseph. I mean, talk about somebody with a past. Joseph was the youngest of 12 boys, and when you think about it, sometimes it's tough to be the youngest. I have a friend who has three boys, and he was telling me that his youngest son had one goal in life. Well, actually two goals. The first goal was to hit the toilet by standing up to pee. <laughs> the, main, the main goal he had in his life was simply to get his older brothers to acknowledge him. Three boys. And the youngest one watches everything that they do. And he follows them from activity to activity. So it doesn't matter what they're doing, whether they're playing PlayStation or whether they're wrestling in the living room or competing in a game of touch football in the front yard. The youngest son is going to be in the middle of what the older two are doing. 
And nothing, I mean nothing, brings a bigger smile to his face than when his older brothers will actually invite him into their world. Made me think of the story of Joseph. Which we actually find beginning in Genesis chapter 37, I think. I mean, Joseph was favored by his father. And again, when one of the children in the family is actually favored by the father, it, it initially just puts them at odds with the other children. His brothers were filled with incredible jealousy. They were filled with incredible envy toward Joseph. And we talked about that last week, envy in comparison. They hated Joseph. They hated him so much that they beat him up, they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery and pretended that he was dead. Now think about those events. Those events in and of themselves will be devastating for any young person. But imagine that you have all of this happening at the hands of your own brothers from whom you crave love and acceptance. Can you imagine how devastating that moment must have been when Joseph looked up from the bottom of that pit? And there he was in the bottom of that pit, broken and bruised, only to see his brothers looking down and laughing at him in the bottom of that pit. You know, it's funny. When someone says that they love you. You know, what, you know what's really interesting? When somebody says that they love you, you don't really feel it. But when somebody says that they don't love you anymore, you feel every ounce of it draining out of your very being. But that was just the beginning. The rejection of his brothers would just be the beginning for Joseph. Because in Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is sold into slavery. He's purchased by an official of, of Pharaoh named Potiphar. And while Joseph was helping lead Egypt, the country endured a just crazy, vicious drought that forced his brothers, the ones responsible for so much of the pain that he experienced in life, to travel to him seeking food for their families. It's a long story, and I'm not going to read the whole story. We're not going to go through the whole story this morning. But, but it's a long story where eventually Joseph was not only reunited with his brothers, but he also forgave his brothers. And in what I think is the most powerful statement in the entirety of the story of Joseph, he looked them in their eyes, his brothers, and this is what he said in verse 20 of chapter 50. Joseph looking into the eyes of the people who had caused him pain, the people who had broken him and bruised him, he looked into their eyes and he said this. He said, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. You meant harm. But God had a different plan. You see what's interesting here? Listen, grab onto this. Tim, leave that up there. 
You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Do you notice what Joseph did? He didn't deny that the past was tough. He didn't deny the past. He didn't pretend that his brothers had, 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 had never hurt him deeply. But instead, Joseph has the grace to grieve the past rather than to transfer the past. Joseph had the grace to, to grieve the hurt that he had endured rather than to carry the hurt with him. And see, I love that phrase that we see in verse 20 of, of chapter 50. But God. But God. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And when I looked at that this past week, I thought, you know what? I believe a case could be made that that is one of the most important phrases in the entire Bible. But God. But God. Because throughout Scripture, that phrase, but God, is used as a turning point, a, a line of demarcation between peril and rescue, chaos and control, fall and redemption, hurt and healing. But God. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And see, here's the thing. Every time I read that phrase, but God... You know what that is? It's good news. It's fantastically good news. I mean, there are literally hundreds of verses that have the phrase, but God, in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, the, the psalmist says this in Psalm 73, verse 26, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Jesus said this in Matthew 19, verse 26, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. The Apostle Luke in Acts 13 said this, When they had done all of the, that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Once we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive. Once we were held captive to our past, but God made us free. Once we were unworthy, but God has promised to spend eternity unwrapping his grace and kindness toward us. Listen to me this morning. There's no way around the past. No matter how hard you try to erase the things that you've done or have happened to you in your past. And the goal of this message this morning is for you not to become a person who doesn't have a history. That's impossible. That's useless. The goal of this message this morning is for you to find a new way of dealing, working with your past. So it does not negatively impact your future. The goal is to fight the inner urge 
that we all have because we all have that inner urge to return to the things that have happened to us in the past. Listen to me this morning. God is bigger than your past. God is bigger than your history. And he's more concerned with your destiny. I'm overly, overwhelmingly committed to a phrase. And that phrase is regardless of what's happened in your life, what's happened in the life of this church, what's happened in our world, I'm committed to the idea that anything is possible. Amen? Anything is possible. And I think you may be too. Perhaps that's the reason you came to church today. You know that transformation in your life is possible. You know that the healing that you need is possible. And you're right. Anything is possible because let me tell you this morning, there's no one in this auditorium, nobody listening, nobody watching online that God can't use. There's nobody whose brokenness is too broken for God. And it's this act of grace, this act of forgiveness, this act of restoration that God wants to give. This act is something that cannot be forced on you. Like anything from God, it has to be received as a gift freely, willingly, and intentionally. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, this act of grace, this act of forgiveness, that you would send your son to a cross to die on our behalf, to erase our past, to give us the freedom that we find through him. It's a gift. A gift to be accepted. Freely, willingly. With every head bowed, maybe every eye closed. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today's the day that you can do that. Maybe right where you're seated, whether it's in this room or in your car or at home listening and watching online, maybe right now you just simply look to the heavens and say, God, I willingly receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's not so much about the words that you say. It's about the action that you take. Humbly look to Him as the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus, who is who He says He is. He gave his life for you. That today is the day that you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. You turn from the life that you've been living and you turn toward him and you walk and you confess that you, you, you've been anything but perfect. But today your desire is to walk along with him as your Savior, your leader. right where you're seated. 
invite him into your life. Confess your sin. Make a commitment to him that you desire to be a different person with Jesus Christ as your leader by your side. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Scripture tells us it's going to be difficult. You'll be persecuted. You'll be made fun of. But it's going to be worth it all. That I can promise you. God, this morning we thank you. We thank you for those who made that decision to allow Jesus into their life. We thank you that we don't have to hold on to the past. That you have set us free through what Jesus did on the cross. That we can be different, that we can be new, that we can be transformed, that we can be restored. That no brokenness is too broken for you. There's nothing in our life that you can't touch. Just keep reminding us, God, that it's going to be worth it all. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.
wanna be 